get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Sui, with you on this Friday, August 18th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Chinese President Xi Jinping is set to attend the BRICS summit in South Africa next week. The Danish foreign minister is in a three-day visit to China. Donald Trump has canceled a press conference over the 2020 election. In business, China's central bank pledges policy support to the real economy. In sports, Lionel Messi makes a short list to be the best player in Europe. In culture and entertainment, China has seen the best summer box office. Now today's top stories: Chinese President Xi Jinping will attend the 15th BRICS summit in Johannesburg and pay a state visit to South Africa from August 21st to 24th. This comes at invitation of South African President Cyril Ramaphosa. While in South Africa, President Xi will co-chair with President Ramaphosa the China-Africa Leaders Dialogue. Iran's pursuit of economic development has taken a momentous turn with its application to join the BRICS. This move is expected to unlock a plethora of opportunities, as experts believe that BRICS membership holds tremendous promise for Iran's future. Yasser Nasvi Gilavan reports. Back in early June, Iranian Foreign Minister Hussein Amir Abdullahian embarked on a journey to Cape Town for the Friends of BRICS talks, where he voiced their own desire to join the bloc and hoped the mechanism for new membership would be decided at the earliest. Later in mid-July, Amir Abdullahian talked with Iran's state TV, where he underscored the advantages of Tehran's engagement with both BRICS and the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. He emphasized that this strategic move is a crucial step towards embracing multilateralism, signifying a shift away from the dominance of unilateralism in the global landscape. As the world witnesses the emergence of a new international order, countries are collectively committed to fostering multilateral cooperation. Iran aims to seize the opportunities offered by these organizations in this transformative era. و استفاده از مزیت‌های بریکس و سازمان همکاری شانگهای Utilizing the advantages of BRICS and the Shanghai Cooperation Organization offers numerous benefits, one of which is our progress towards multilateralism. In the present era, unilateralism no longer dominates the global landscape. Instead, a new international order is taking shape. A key feature of this emerging order is countries' collective commitment to transitioning from unilateralism to multilateralism. Embracing these organizations' opportunities facilitates our journey towards multilateralism. The decision to join BRICS carries immense significance for Iran, aligning the nation with influential players like Russia and China. Bashir Smiley, an esteemed university professor. Specializing in BRICS countries emphasizes that this move showcases Iran's proactive engagement in reshaping global power dynamics. By becoming a member of BRICS Plus, Iran solidifies its position as a contributing player in the ongoing transformative process that is redefining the world's economic and strategic landscape. Iran's decision to join BRICS alongside Russia and China signifies. An active participation in reshaping global power dynamics. Economically, Iran's inclusion in BRICS 
has the potential to challenge the dominance of the U.S. dollar in global transactions. Altering the balance of power, this strategic alignment aims to reduce U.S. dominance and reshape the global landscape. Moreover, Iran and officials seem to be looking towards a new world order with China at the forefront of technological and economic supremacy. BRICS is seen as one of those blocks greatly propelled by Chinese wisdom and power. John Kofis is a retired professor of an American university whose academic research has focused on the history of international political economy. He highlights that BRICS is primarily driven by China's strength. Without a doubt, the driving force behind BRICS is China, simply because it had the world's second largest economy at the time. And after 2016, became the largest economy when measured in terms of purchasing power parity. Your interest in joining BRICS Plus is a strategic move that aims to harness the potential economic and political benefits of being part of a major transcontinental organization, by exploring avenues to challenge the dominance of the US dollar, expanding economic partnerships, and positioning itself politically on the world stage. Iran seeks to secure its interests in an ever-evolving global environment. While challenges remain, Iran's potential membership in BRICS Plus offers unique opportunities for the country to strengthen its position and navigate a new world order. For the Beijing over, this is Yosin Azifigilavan reporting from Tehran, Iran. The southeastern Chinese city of Xiamen hosts an innovation center that's helping advance cooperation among BRICS nations. Wubin takes a closer look at how to help one Chinese company break in the, into the Brazilian market. TPB first entered the Brazilian market more than 20 years ago and established a base in Manos, the capital of the state of Amazonas. This Chinese company is the largest manufacturer of LCD monitors in the world. Components made by the Xiamen branch in southeast China are shipped to Manos, which employs over 1,000 local staff, to turn them into the finished products. Earlier this year, TPV secured a cooperative deals with its production base in Brazil, which are expected to bring the factory an annual output worth over 400 million U.S. dollars. The deal was signed at the promotional conference in Brazil earlier this year, hosted by the BRICS Innovation Center. A facility proposed by President Xi Jinping at the summit of BRICS nations in 2020 and formally established the following year. The aim is to advance what's known as the Partnership on New Industrial Revolution between member states Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa. This is done by coordinating policies, training personnel and developing projects together. Xiamen has seen the trade and investment benefits of that cooperation. Last year, the city's imports and exports with BRICS countries exceeded 95 billion yuan, about 13 billion U.S. dollars, up 30 percent year-on-year. Of that amount, 30 percent is from business done with Brazilian companies. An air cargo route has been launched between Xiamen and the city of Sao Paulo. It's Xiamen's first cargo route to Latin America. The cargo route is operated by a Boeing B-777F freighter with two weekly flights. Another weekly flight is expected to be added this month, in a bid to meet increasing demand from Brazil. That was Wubin in Xiamen on the southeastern coast. The 15th BRICS summit is scheduled to be held in Johannesburg, South Africa from August 22nd to 24th. 
an emerging market group that includes Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. The bloc represents approximately 40% of the global population and accounts for about 26% of the global economy. Next week's meeting will mark the first in-person BRICS summit since the COVID-19 pandemic broke out. Taking over the BRICS rotating presidency from China on January 1st, 2023, South Africa has now set to host a summit under the theme BRICS and Africa, Partnership for Mutually Accelerated Growth, Sustainable Development, and Inclusive Multilateralism. As an important platform for cooperation among emerging markets and developing countries, BRICS is committed to upholding multilateralism, reforming the global governance system, and increasing the representation and voice of emerging markets and developing countries. Coming up, the Danish foreign minister is in a three-day visit to China. Three weeks ago, the Wuhan Earthquake Monitoring Center suffered a cyber attack from overseas hackers. This week, preliminary analysis has discovered malicious backdoor software with a potential link to U.S. intelligence agencies. Why is a civilian facility targeted by hackers? What are the threats to global internet governance? Join us on Deep Dive this week to explore the answers. It's nine minutes past the hour, and the invitation of China's Minister of Foreign Affairs Wang Yi, the Danish Foreign Minister, has been on a three-day visit in China. Dong Xue has details. Danish Foreign Minister Lars Lokremsen touched down in Shanghai this Wednesday to start his three-day visit to China. But during his stay in the Chinese financial hub, he visited the iconic Shanghai Tower, the third tallest building in the world. And the stated aim of that visit was to gain insights into green solutions that contribute to local energy efficiency efforts. And this marks his first visit to China since taking his position as the country's foreign minister. For this specific journey, Minister Ramsam is joined by a business delegation aimed at fostering stronger bilateral cooperation in mutually beneficial green sectors, as well as strengthening commercial bounds between the two sides. And as per the Danish Foreign Ministry's itinerary, Minister Ramsam has scheduled meetings with China's Minister of Commerce, Mr. Wang Wenta, as well as the Vice President Han Zheng, and additionally discussions with his uh, Chinese counterpart Wang Yi are planned as well, uh, focusing on key subjects including green collaboration and global security. The two will also discuss a new bilateral China-Denmark joint work program. And prior to embarking on his trip, the Danish foreign minister outlined his country's commitment to providing sustainable green solutions aimed at mitigating global carbon emissions. He expressed hopes of Boston cooperation with China across domains such as climate, energy, um, environment, as well as health. And the two ministers has also stated to engage in a discussion on major global issues. Well, these include talk on the Ukraine crisis, regional security concerns, and the status of China-EU relations, as well as a broader global economic issues. That was Dong Xue bringing updates on the Danish foreign minister's visit in China. 
China and Denmark established ties in 1950. 73 years on, the relationship has flourished on various fronts. With Denmark being the only Nordic country to have established a comprehensive strategic partnership with China, the two nations have shared a strong economic relationship. China is Denmark's largest trading partner in Asia. In 2022, trade between the two countries reached nearly 16 billion U.S. dollars. Between 1982 and 2021, Denmark had invested a total of 4.44 billion U.S. dollars in over 1,200 projects in China, mainly in medicine and manufacturing. In 1980, the Sino-Danish Mixed Committee of Trade and Economic Cooperation was established. Since then, they've signed several agreements in agriculture, energy, environment, and medicine. Residents in Hawaii are assessing the damage from wildfires that scorched the Maui Island. Kapali Kahi from the historic town of Lahaina says many people in his community have not even had time to grieve. We definitely need some time to think, to ponder upon you know the the next uh, uh, the next couple weeks and what we need to do uh, to to uh, stay strong for the long haul. Corinne Hussey Napriga says she has mixed emotions in the aftermath of the fire. The families are healing. You know, and it's a it's a touchy situation right now, because for us, as a community, of course we're happy that we have our homes, but our heart aches because that's our other neighbors and our families. The wildfire has caused massive casualties, making it the deadliest fire in over a century in modern U.S. history. Administrator Herman Andaya of the Maui Emergency Management Agency has resigned, citing health reasons. Maui Mayor Richard Bisson has accepted her resignation, saying he will announce the replacement of Andaya as quickly as possible. U.S. President Joe Biden is planning to visit Hawaii next week. His pledged support for rebuilding of the historic resort town of Lahaina. Local authorities say search and rescue operations are continuing. Dan William has details. The Maori Emergency Chief Herman Andaya came out and said that he had no regrets over not using the、uh, early warning system that's on throughout Hawaii,、um, and there's about 80 warning sirens here on Maori alone.、Uh, now that early warning system is primarily based there for tsunami warnings, and so the discussion there, the authorities there saying、uh, they decided not to use it in order、uh, to, that their fear was that they might、uh, see residents running up into the mountains and not, which would be into the wildfires, and not. Away,、uh, making other evacuation routes, and so they decided not to use it. But of course, that has come under a lot of criticism from residents here.、Uh, of course,、um, given that so many perished or potentially have perished、uh, in this、uh, this huge wildfire that swept through just over a week ago. So that resignation now accepted、uh, here by the mayor.、Uh, they citing、uh, unspecified medical reasons for that resignation. But of course, coming one day after saying that there were no regrets for not. Using it,、uh, then obviously there's a, a lot of、uh, people here that were angry uh, that, uh, that that early warning system was not used and did not alert more residents to the situation that was unfolding so quickly. I think the one thing that's come out of this is that there's a lot of the community feel that they, they really came together、uh, in the days following this、uh, horrific tragedy,、uh, and, and it really is. You know, whenever you speak to the residents here, they talk about how people came in via boats,、uh, via road. 
road any which way to bring water supplies uh, you know, temporary accommodation you name it um, to help people uh, away you know injured uh, set up uh, emergency tents uh, kind of emergency triage uh, so all of that happened but it was all they say the residents that I've spoken to it's all led by the community and not by uh, the authorities they say they expected more action more quickly uh, from the local authorities and from uh, government and it just hasn't been forthcoming I have to say now uh, when you go uh, into Lahaina you can see that there's uh, thousands of uh, people working different officials different uh, uh, strands of government all working now whether it be still trying to find victims using sniffer dogs or whether it's uh, you know, re uh, uh, specifying um, kind of reinstalling power reinstalling electricity that type of thing so there's all sorts of elements now going on there's big relief efforts there now but residents that I've spoken to saying that they uh, were upset that it didn't happen sooner uh, and of course with Joe Biden the US president arriving here on Monday uh, we might well see uh, some of uh, that anger come forth uh, over the next few days ahead of that visit and during that visit as well. That was Stan Williams reporting from the Hawaiian island of Maui. Fast-moving flames in parts of Canada's Northwest Territories are leading authorities to issue emergency alerts. The blazes are prompting evacuations by road and air, including the entire population of the region's capital, Yellowknife. The situation is being described as unprecedented. The Iranian foreign minister says relations between his country and Saudi Arabia are moving in the right direction. Hossein Amir Abdullahian has been on his first official visit to Saudi Arabia since the two countries agreed to restore diplomatic relations in a China broker deal in March. He says Iran is committed to implementing the agreements reached between the two countries in the security and economic fields and will set up a technical and executive committee to promote their implementation. The diplomat also says the Iranian president is expected to visit Saudi Arabia soon. Saudi Foreign Minister Faisal bin Farhan al-Saud says the restoration of diplomatic relations with Iran is key to maintaining regional security. He says Saudi Arabia will promote new progress in relations on the basis of mutual respect. You're listening to the Beijing Hour coming up. Donald Trump has canceled a press conference over the 2020 election. Bomb went off. I have dozens of friends who are missing and possibly The most devastating U.S. wildfires in a century continue to ravage Hawaii. This week on Climate Watch, we look into the unprecedented wildfires in Hawaii as we explore ways to manage and mitigate the increasing threat of extreme weather events. Together, we can make a difference. It's 18 minutes past the hour. Former U.S. President Donald Trump has canceled a press conference scheduled for next week where he was expected to release a report into the 2020 election in Georgia. Trump says his attorneys will put his arguments in court filings instead. Meanwhile, some far-right Trump supporters have been exposing personal information of grand jurors participating in the cases against the former president, raising safety concerns. Jim Spellman reports from Washington. Grand jurors who heard evidence against former U.S. President Donald Trump in Georgia deliberated secretly as mandated, but under state law, their identities are not kept secret. Their names were part of a 98-page indictment released this week. Their personal information, including names, photos, and possible home addresses, are circulating on websites frequented by far-right Trump supporters, raising concerns for their safety and the safety of future jurors when and if the cases against Trump go to trial. 
Meantime, in Texas, a woman has been arrested for allegedly threatening to kill the judge overseeing the Washington, D.C.-based federal case against Trump. In a voicemail message, Abigail Jo Schrei allegedly also made racist comments towards the judge, who is black, and towards an African-American lawmaker. Security has been tight at courthouses in Georgia, New York, and Washington, where Trump-related court appearances have taken place. So far, there has been no violence, but authorities want to avoid any disruptions like what happened at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. That was Jim Spellman reporting. Sweden has raised its terrorist threat level from elevated to high. This is the second highest level of the five-grade terrorism alert system in Sweden. Director General Charlotte Van Essen of the Swedish Security Service, or SAPO, says the country has become a prioritized target for terrorist attacks. She warns that the threat will remain for a long time. The primary task of the security service is to constantly be one step ahead, and the purpose behind the decision to raise the threat level to four high threat is so that society can adapt its activities in order to minimize the risk that something would happen. Prime Minister Us Christensen says the government has thwarted several terror attacks. It is obvious that there are people who have been held responsible for things, but I'm not going to elaborate on that. But there are people who simply have been arrested both in Sweden and abroad, and that is positive. In other words, that we discover and are able to stop people with such intentions. Sweden and Denmark have been under the spotlight in recent weeks after several extremists burned or desecrated a Quran in their capitals, which sparked criticism from Muslim countries around the world. In Spain, Pedro Sanchez's hope to secure another term as prime minister has been boosted after his candidate was elected as chamber speaker. Francia Armengo won a majority of votes in the lower house of parliament securing the position. But it remains to be seen if Sanchez can round up the same support to try to form a government. Elise Cadia reports. Well, it's a significant step forward, but it isn't the end game. It's not a guarantee that the government of Pedro Sanchez will be able to form or reform as the next Spanish government. That support by those Catalan uh, separatists was simply for the election of the Speaker of the Spanish Congress. And that is seen as a win for Pedro Sanchez after weeks of negotiations. But it has been the result of concessions by uh, his socialist party to the uh, Catalan nationalists, the promotion of the Catalan language in Congress, the reopening of an investigation into the Pegasus scandal where Catalan leaders felt that Israeli Israeli spyware was used to hack into their phones and and, uh, have their personal information. So those are the two concessions so far. But Carlos Puigdemont, who is the leader of the uh, Junts party, he's actually based in Belgium in self-exile after the 2017 referendum in in Catalonia. He said that this uh, is not linked in any way to the formation of a new government and that support is not there yet for his party, that there's not a lot of trust between the Socialist Party and his Junts party. So certainly a step forward for Pedro Sanchez, but no guarantee of being able to form a government when the vote comes in September quite yet. That was Alex Gattier reporting. The Russian ruble has recovered after plummeting this week to its lowest level in 16 months. It follows speculation that capital controls were being considered to prop up the struggling currency, which has lost more than a third of its value this year. Russia increased interest rates this week to stem the slide. Dasha Chernyshova has more from Moscow. 
Sources cited by Russia's Vedomosti business newspaper say authorities are not planning to tighten capital controls in response to a weakening ruble. The paper reports that exporters have informally agreed to exchange more of their foreign currency to support the ruble. The reported agreement follows the ruble hitting a 16-month low and Russia's central bank hiking the key interest rate to 12% on Tuesday. In the meantime, Russian President Vladimir Putin said that time has come to create a new high-speed railroad between Moscow and St. Petersburg. The costly plan would reduce travel time between the country's two largest cities by half to about two hours. And Russia's defense ministry says its forces have repelled a Ukrainian drone attack in Belgrade region. The ministry says it was successful in an offensive in the Donetsk region, with Ukraine losing four striker armored vehicles. And in neighboring Lugansk, Moscow says 80% of the region's residents have been issued Russian passports. That was Dasha Chernoshova reporting. The UN High Representative for Disarmament Affairs has expressed concerns about reports related to the transfer and use of cluster munitions to Ukraine. Izumi Nakamitsu made the remarks when addressing a Security Council meeting called by Russia on the transfer of weapons to Ukraine. The influx of weapons and ammunition into any armed conflict can contribute to the escalation and presents significant risks of diversion and proliferation even after the conflict has ended. Measures to address the risk of diversion of weapons and ammunition to unauthorized end users and for unauthorized users are essential for preventing further instability and insecurity in Ukraine, the region and beyond. The UN Undersecretary General has also called the United States to fully implement their legal obligations under conventional arms control instruments and political commitments to minimize the risk of diversion of arms and ammunition. The U.S. supplied cluster munitions to Ukraine in July, which have been deployed against Russian forces. Cluster munitions are a type of explosive weapon that scatters sub-munitions over an area. It's banned by over 120 countries through the Convention of a Cluster Bombs Treaty amid its risks to civilians. Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko has expressed the country's readiness to work with China in making new contributions to world peace. While meeting with Chinese Defense Minister Li Shangfu, Lukashenko said both sides are staunch defenders of international fairness and justice, as well as a multipolar world. The Belarusian leader also said he hopes the two militaries can play a constructive role in maintaining regional stability. Li said China is willing to promote win-win cooperation with Belarus, and bilateral military cooperation has achieved fruitful results in strategic communication and joint training. West African bloc ECOWAS says most of its member states are ready to participate in a standby military force which could intervene in Niger following a coup last month. Army chiefs from West African countries are meeting in Ghana to discuss possible solutions to the coup if diplomacy fails to restore a civilian government. Fast-moving flames in parts of Canada's Northwest Territories are leading authorities to issue emergency alerts. The blazes are prompting evacuation by road and air, including the entire population of the region's capital, Yellowknife. China's first shipping index future, the container freight index futures, have been listed for trading in Shanghai. The futures reflect freight rates for containers shipped from Shanghai to European ports. 
The aim is to help firms hedge against fluctuation risks in container freight prices. The five contracts under the futures will allow global traders to use the Chinese yuan for valuation and settlement. For companies that plans to use container ships to transport goods from Shanghai to Europe, they can buy the futures in advance to cover possible losses caused by rising freight rates. Now let's check the weather. Beijing is 24 overnight tomorrow, sunny with a high of 33. Chongqing is 29 this evening tomorrow, cloudy with a high of 38. Lhasa is 14 overnight tomorrow, cloudy and 24. Hong Kong has heavy rain with 26 tonight. Tomorrow showers with a high of 29. Elsewhere, Tokyo is 26 overnight. It'll have thunderstorms with 35 on Saturday. Islamabad is 25 tonight. Tomorrow sunny and 36. Bangkok is 28 overnight, then thunderstorms and 37 on Saturday. In Africa, Nairobi is mostly sunny with a high of 26. Finally, to Oceania, Sydney is 9 this evening. Tomorrow, mostly sunny with a high of 18. Auckland is 7 overnight. Tomorrow, cloudy with a high of 13. Port Vila will be mostly cloudy with 27 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, Chinese President Xi Jinping is set to attend the BRICS summit in South Africa next week. The Danish foreign minister is in a three-day visit to China. Donald Trump has canceled a press conference over the 2020 election. So we with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common: we have hope for humanity and the world. German railway company Deutsche Bahn. The 26th United Nations Climate. Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你 This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you are a rookie, 你好，我的中文一点点 or a sophisticated learner. 我来北京五年了，我是本地人 There is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好 Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Sui with you on this Friday. Still to come in business, China's central bank pledges policy support to support the real economy. In sports, Lionel Messi makes the short list to be the best player in Europe. In culture and entertainment, China has seen the best summer box office. To contact us, you can email audio newsroom at cgtn.com or follow our X, formerly Twitter account, CGTN Radio. But first, today's headlines: Chinese President Xi Jinping will attend the 15th BRICS summit in Johannesburg, South Africa, a paid state visit to the country starting Monday. 
The Chinese Foreign Ministry says President Xi will also co-chair with South African President Cyril Ramaphosa the China-Africa leaders' dialogue during his four-day visit. Chinese President Xi Jinping has replied to a letter from the faculty and students of the Confucius Institute at Durban University of Technology in South Africa. In his message, President Xi encouraged them to master the Chinese language and contribute to nurturing a friendship between the two nations. He said he was pleased to see that the educational and cultural exchanges between the two countries have yielded fruitful results. In 2013, President Xi witnessed the joint establishment of the Confucius Institute, which has trained nearly 10,000 students over the past decade. Official data shows that Chinese companies invested nearly 72 billion U.S. dollars to non-financial sectors overseas in the first seven months of this year. That marks a year-on-year jump of 10.6 percent. Approximately one-fifth of these investments found their way to Belt and Road nations. Residents in Hawaii are assessing the damage from wildfires that scorched the Maui Island. Kapali Kiki from the historic town of Lahaina says many people in his community have not even had time to grieve. We definitely need some time to think, to ponder upon you know the the next uh, uh, the next couple weeks and what we need to do uh, to to uh, stay strong for the long haul. The wildfire has so far killed over 100 people, making it the deadliest fire in over a century in modern U.S. history. Administrator Herman Andaya of the Maui Emergency Management Agency has resigned, citing health reasons. Maui Mayor Richard Bisson has accepted her resignation, saying he will announce the replacement of Andaya as quickly as possible. Fast-moving flames in parts of Canada's Northwest Territories are leading authorities to issue emergency alerts. The blazes are prompting evacuations by road and air, including the entire population of the region's capital, Yellowknife. The situation is being described as unprecedented. Owen Faircloud reports. Flee by Friday at noon. The order for residents of Yellowknife in Canada to escape the latest wildfire. Some 20,000 people in the capital of the remote Northwest Territories are in its path. But escaping is also fraught with danger. Yellowknife's mayor issued the evacuation order on Wednesday night as some 200 wildfires burn across the region. There is a possibility that without rain, the fire reaches the outskirts of Yellowknife by the weekend. It is approaching, but there's time to complete the community evacuation. Officials are organizing flights for people with medical conditions, but warn they may not be able to help those who choose to stay after the evacuation deadline. Across Canada, there are at least 1,000 wildfires burning, a record number that scientists are linking with rapidly rising global temperatures. That was Owen Faircloud on wildfires burning across northwestern Canada. Russia has shot down another drone in central Moscow. City Mayor Sergei Sobyanin says the wreckage fell near the Expo Center, less than five kilometers away from the Kremlin. The Russian Defense Ministry has blamed Ukraine for this so-called terrorist attack. Kiev has yet to respond. Military chiefs of the Western African Regional Bloc (ECOWAS) have been meeting in Ghana's capital Accra to discuss a possible military intervention in Niger. It comes after Niger's military leaders defy an order to restore democratic rule and have threatened to charge the ousted president Mohamed Bazoum with treason. Nabil Ahmed Rafai reports. The moment West African military chiefs arrived in Accra to give clarity to talks about a potential use of force in Niger, they are here to outline an operational plan that will be rolled out should a military intervention get the nod. 
Last week, leaders of the West African Regional Bloc, ECOWAS, activated the organization's standby force in readiness for a military intervention in Niger. But the junta leader, Abdurrahman Chiani, continues to hold on to power. ECOWAS says it is still open for dialogue with the junta leader, even though past attempts have failed. We just want to tell them that uh, and inform them about the resolve of the equalities of state and government to make sure that by all means available, constitutional order will be restored in the country. ECOWAS says it will use a military intervention as a last resort. There was no representative from Niger, Burkina Faso, Mali, Guinea and Cape Verde at the military chiefs meeting in Accra. The deliberation will be wrapped up on Friday and it is expected that a clear roadmap on the possible military intervention in Niger would be outlined. That was Nabil Hamid Rafai reporting. The Iranian foreign minister says relations between his country and Saudi Arabia are moving in the right direction. Hussein Amir Abdullahian has been on his first official visit to Saudi Arabia since the two countries agreed to restore diplomatic relations in the China broker deal in March. He says Iran is committed to implementing the agreements reached between the two countries in the security and economic fields and will set up a technical and executive committee to promote their implementation. The diplomat also says the Iranian president is suspected to visit Saudi Arabia soon. Saudi Foreign Minister Faisal bin Farhan al-Saud says the restoration of diplomatic relations with Iran is key to maintaining regional security. He says Saudi Arabia will promote new progress in relations on the basis of mutual respect. China has seen the best summer box office performance in history this year. Data from the China Film Administration shows cinemas nationwide raked in over 17.7 billion yuan, or 2.4 billion US dollars, from June to August. The tally broke the record set in 2019, with two more weeks left until the end of the summer season. Domestic productions Lost in the Stars, No More Bed, Never Say Never, and Creation of the Gods took the top spots in the summer season film market. Industry insiders predicted that the overall box office in China is expected to surpass 60 billion yuan this year. This is Sui in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's central bank pledges policy support to the real economy. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 38 minutes past the hour, stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished lower on Friday. Timothy Pope has more. It's been a painful week for the Chinese mainland markets. Confidence has been at a bit of a low ebb. The Shanghai Composite fell another 1%, raising yesterday's gains and leaving the index down 8 tenths of 1% for the week. The uh, Shenzhen Component Index fell, uh, also fell uh, by about 1.8%. Uh, the only real bright spot on the markets came from financial stocks today where the banks were rising uh, after the PBOC staged its biggest weekly net cash injection since March. Uh, it pumped about 96 billion yuan, that's more than 13 billion US dollars, worth of uh, seven-day liquidity uh, into the Chinese money markets. Uh, Agricultural Bank of China, ICBC and Postal Savings Bank were all among 
the top contributors uh, to gains uh, as a consequence. But uh, every other sector was down and uh, foreign capital has also been exiting the markets this week. By lunchtime, net outflows on the Stock Connect links had passed 20 billion yuan since Monday. That's uh, two and three quarter billion US dollars. It also was the 10th consecutive session of uh, net selling. There was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hansen index lost more than 2%. In Japan, the Nikkei was down nearly 0.6%. Official data shows the added value of China's service industry amounted to 33 trillion yuan, or about 4.5 trillion U.S. dollars, in the first half of this year. The figure was an increase of 6.4 percent on a yearly basis, accounting for 56 percent of GDP. Shu Jueting is the spokeswoman of the Ministry of Commerce. She says the ministry has introduced a series of policies to promote the development of trade and services in recent years. The Ministry of Commerce has actively promoted the strengthening of dialogue and exchanges on trading services with countries that are jointly building the Belt and Road Initiative, BRICS countries and the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. We've actively given play to the role of key exhibition platforms such as China International Import Expo and China International Fair for Trading Services to offer global public goods and effective carry for strengthening cooperation on trading services between China and other countries. In recent years, China has exchanges in service trade with over 200 countries and regions and signed memorandums of understanding on service trade cooperation with 15 countries. The People's Bank of China has pledged to provide solid support for the recovery and development of the country's real economy. According to a second quarter monetary policy implementation report, the central bank will continue to prioritize stability while pursuing progress and implement a prudent monetary policy that's powerful and targeted. The central bank proposes a five-prone approach, including maintaining a reasonable growth in monetary credit, promoting steady reduction in financing costs for the real economy, and fortifying prevention and capability to forestall and defuse various risks. The bank will also intensify support for small and micro enterprises and resolutely guard against the risk of exchange rate overshoot. Shenzhen is modeling over new policies aimed at developing the city's low-altitude airspace. This typically involves distances from ground level to 1,000 meters. Drones and the possibility of flying taxi are just some of the technologies up for discussion. Huang Fei spoke with consumers and industry insiders on the policies in the pipeline. Look up, your food is on the way. Drone deliveries are no longer a novelty in Shenzhen. This rooftop is one of five launch pads in the city, flying parcels from the mall downstairs to a pickup kiosk nearby. I order on the app, click drone delivery and receive a pickup code. Once I get my stuff, I just throw the box in there and it's done. It's really fast. Tech giant Meituan says these drones can deliver orders within 12 to 15 minutes, compared to about 40 minutes during peak time. Millions of dollars in government subsidies are up for grabs for companies big and small as they develop new services in the air. Government subsidies are only proportional, but they allow us to invest more in technology. Such policies will attract private investment as well. It helps the whole industry. Right now, the cost of drone deliveries are higher than riders, but it will come down significantly in the next five to ten years. Shenzhen is opening highways in the sky, not just for goods, but for people as well. Shenzhen East General Aviation hopes to build China's first urban air mobility platform. 
operating both helicopters and electric drones. The Greater Bay Area is a booming market. Our helicopter services already cover nine cities in Guangdong, plus Hong Kong and Macau. Building on that experience, we are working with passenger drone companies in route design and testing. We expect to obtain the first commercial flying permit before the end of this year. A trip from East Shenzhen to the airport in the city's west could take about two hours by car or by public transportation, but the helicopter will take you there in under 20 minutes. A ride on this luxury twin-motor helicopter will set you back 2,700 U.S. dollars, but a ticket on a smaller aircraft costs 10 times less thanks to government subsidies. And with electric and autonomous prototypes taking off around the world, the technology is almost ready to make flying taxis a reality for the masses. The question is, are our cities equipped to manage the ever more congested urban airspace? How we optimize the routes for these vehicles? Because does not like on land, we have very clear guiding system. We have light, traffic lights, we have the line, we have the road, we have pedestrians. But on low attitudes, spacers, it's empty there. So far, there's no law to tell people how we utilize the resources at the low attitude spacers. Shenzhen is in the early stages of drafting legislature. Proposals for the law will focus on areas ranging from the registration of new vehicles to liability protocols and a database for the industry. That was Huang Fei reporting. The China Civil Engineering Construction Corporation has inked an agreement with an Ethiopian developer to co-develop a special economic zone in the East African country. The project of co-developing a thousand hectares of land aims to build a logistics, industrial, trade and commercial hub in Africa. Director General Matuma Tamskin of Gada Special Economic Zone speaks highly of the new economic zone. The strategic focus areas of Gada Special Economic Zone are attracting foreign and domestic investment, enhancing technology transfer in manufacturing activities, creating jobs, generating multiplier effect on economic growth and development in Ethiopia. Gada Special Economic Zone has a vision of becoming world-class investment destination and the model economic hub of Africa. Meanwhile, the Gada Special Economic Zone aims to transform Gada into a smart industrial city by 2063. It's expected to stimulate economic growth in the country and address the pressing need for job creation. Data from the National Bureau of Statistics shows that China's catering revenue hit 427 billion yuan, or 59 billion US dollars in July, marking an increase of nearly 16% year-on-year. In Beijing, restaurants in several shopping complexes report a surge in both foot traffic and revenue during the first summer vacation after the country relaxed COVID-19 restrictions. Compared with the same period last year, we have seen a 30% increase both in guest counts and revenue. Our restaurant features automobile elements. We've updated our menu. We're selecting a site for a new branch. The growth of momentum is shoring up business confidence, prompting many industry players to expand their business. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, Lionel Messi makes the shortlist to be the best player in Europe.
The FIFA Women's World Cup has captivated audiences worldwide. The action on the field has been entertaining, dramatic, and featured footballing skills from the world's greatest players. Join us for this week's episode of Sideline Story to hear our discussions that focus on the semi-final action, a preview of the final, as well as various talking points that have dominated the headlines throughout this exciting tournament. It's 47 minutes past the hour turning to sports. Here's Brendan Yates. Thank you, Sui. And we kick things off with football news and Lionel Messi made the three-man shortlist announced for the UEFA award as the best player in Europe last season. The World Cup winning captain from Argentina who has left Europe to play for MLS club Inter Miami is up against Manchester City teammates Kevin De Bruyne and Erling Haaland. Messi won the UEFA award twice in its 12-year history, both in years when Barcelona were European champions. Man City won the Champions League title last season and De Bruyne and Haaland played key roles in City's success, which also included an English Premier League and FA Cup title. The English Football Association will consider Lionesses coach Serena Wichmann as a candidate to take charge of the senior men's team if or when Gareth Southgate moves on from his role as manager, FA Chief Executive Mark Bullingham has said. Wichmann has guided England to the final of the Women's World Cup in Australia, where they will play Spain in Sydney on Sunday, just 13 months after leading the team to its first international title at Euro 2022. Despite this news, Wichmann, who is contracted to the FA until 2025, is reported to be a leading candidate to succeed Vladko Andonovsky as coach of the US women's national team following his decision to step down in the wake of the reigning world champions round of 16 exit at the World Cup. In tennis, Chinese star Chung Chin Wen has been defeated by world number one Iga Swiatek in the round of 16 at the Cincinnati Open. The 20-year-old put up an impressive performance in the match as she won the opening set 6-3. Swiatek ultimately bounced back, easing through the remaining two sets, which she won 6-1-6-1. Swiatek, who is the top seed, will face Wimbledon champion and 10th seed Marketa Vondrasova in the quarterfinals. With less than a year to go until the start of the Paris Olympic Games, four days of triathlon test events got underway in the heart of the city. Water tests showed that quality levels in the Seine are back to acceptable standards. It was positive news following the last-minute cancellation of a swimming event, which had been due to take place in the river at the beginning of August. With the successful completion of the event, organizing committee boss Tony Estego says it's a great step towards a fantastic Games. It's very uh, fantastic uh, enthusiasm for, for all the team of Paris 2024. If you look at the potential of this city uh, to organize uh, one of the best triathlon, I was uh, on the podium with, uh, with the ladies this morning and they told me it's probably the, the best triathlon I ever uh, competed in. So, so for us, it's the best demonstration that uh, the work done so far is very uh, positive and uh, we are on track uh, to deliver a, a fantastic triathlon next year. A field of 65 female triathletes from all over the world swam 1,500 metres and then cycled 40 kilometres before finishing with a 10-kilometre run on and around the Champs-Élysées. Great Britain's Beth Potter won the test event. The Chinese men's basketball national team will face arch-rivals Lebanon in the group stage of this year's Asian Games in Hangzhou. Team China have been drawn in Group B where they will also face Chinese Taipei and Mongolia. Lebanon knocked out China in the quarterfinals of the Asian Cup last year. 
Naturalized player Lee Kaya has confirmed that he won't play the Asian Games as it overlaps in time with the NBA preseason. Meanwhile, the Chinese women's team has been grouped with India, Indonesia and Mongolia in Group A. The NBA has released the fixture list for the 2023-24 season and proceedings will tip off in Denver where the defending champion Nuggets will raise a banner to the rafters of Ball Arena for the first time in the team's history before playing the Los Angeles Lakers and will see LeBron James start his staggering 21st season in the league. Denver's title defense will begin on October 24th against the team it vanquished in the Western Conference Finals. The NBA has another massive rivalry contest following it. The new-look Phoenix Suns, showcasing Bradley Beal alongside Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, will visit the Golden State Warriors and Chris Paul, whose first game for his new team will be against his former one. China's badminton team has left for Copenhagen as the World Championships begin next week. Team China have not won a women's singles title for 12 years, but world number number nine Hua Binjiao is confident going into the tournament. I've been relatively consistent this season, but I still didn't have a breakthrough moment up to now. I still have a long way to go, and compared to last year, I'm more patient, and that helps me a lot as my mental state affects my performance very much. Both the men's and women's competitors will be eager to contribute to China's historic success at this competition. And finally, in the highly anticipated main event of UFC 292, Aljamain Sterling will face off against contender Sean O'Malley, two fighters at the pinnacle of their craft. This bantamweight title fight is set to take place at the TD Garden in Boston this weekend and promises to be a clash of styles that will leave fans on the edge of their seats. Sterling, the reigning bantamweight champion, enters the fight as the favorite, with the Jamaicans' wrestling and submission game expected to be a significant factor. On the other hand, O'Malley's striking prowess and knockout ability make the American a dangerous underdog. Thanks, Brandon. Coming up in culture and entertainment, China has seen the best summer box office. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. Culture and entertainment, Yang Guang joins us now. Thank you, Sui. China has seen the best summer box office performance in history this year. Data from the China Film Administration shows cinemas nationwide wrecked in over 17.7 billion yuan or 2.4 billion US dollars from June to August. The tally broke the record set in 2019 with two more weeks left until the end of the summer season. Domestic productions lost in the stars, No More Bats, Never Say Never, and The Creation of the Gods took the top spots in the summer season film market. Industry insiders predicted that the overall box office in China is expected to surpass 60 billion yuan this year. Music like culture evolves, drawing inspiration from the spirit of the times and the past. Through an immersion in Chinese literary, classics and folk tunes, American composer Niccolo Athens of the Tianjin Juilliard School hopes to introduce his love for the country to a wider audience. Shen Li finds out what led him on this music-making journey. Western classical music 
and Chinese musical heritage blend in perfect harmony. For American composer Niccolo Evans, this is the most natural way to create, combining his love of music with a deep interest in China. The 34-year-old Athens now teaches composition at the Tianjin Juilliard School, the branch campus of the Juilliard School in New York. Among his many compositions, free settings from the Book of Votes is probably one of the most challenging. Mixing the guzheng or the Chinese plug zither with the chamber music setting, the piece is inspired by Shi Jing, with a history of 2,500 years. I think the interesting thing about it for me is this, this sort of combination of some aspects of it being still very familiar and other parts of it being very foreign. I get a similar、um, sense sometimes reading things like Homer or the sort of foundational things from Western literature. Some aspects of it are very recognizably human, and other things in it just seem so sort of alien in a sort of en enchanting and interesting way. Athens' musical journey to China begins in San Antonio, Texas. There, he showed talent in music at an early age, and went on to study at the prestigious Juilliard School in New York. In his fourth year, he began taking Chinese lessons out of interest. This led to his plans to further his studies in China. And like most foreigners, he's deeply impressed by director An Li's Oscar-winning movie *Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon* and the mystical Middle Kingdom it portrayed. Definitely, the bamboo forests were part of it. I saw that movie as a child, and I remember it quite vividly. And the thing I remember about it is the parts that are shot in like Xinjiang or Gansu or some somewhere in the west. And there's big desert expanses, and I think that's actually quite different than what most people in the west imagine China looking like. So maybe that movie actually sort of expanded my idea of what you know encompasses is encompassed by China. And when asked about his favorite Chinese musical instrument, he comes up with the most unexpected one. I really like the suona. Just as a, as an instrument on its own, I've never had a chance to write for it. I'm not sure how I I would go about trying to incorporate it into my own work because it's got a very you know unique, strong flavor to it. Now with Chinese literary classic and reimagined folk songs under his belt, Athens is eager to delve deeper into China's rich cultural heritage. That was Shen Li on the music journey of American composer in China, and finally, the city of Kaifeng in central China is attracting waves of fashionably dressed young people through a trendy city walk. The city in Henan Province was the ancient capital of eight dynasties. City walk or meandering through the urban landscapes means the act of walking freely along city streets, unburdened by exhaustive plans and cumbersome bags. Such a convenient form of travel has emerged as a prevailing and trend among young people in China, offering them an intimate experience of urban culture and local traditions. Thanks, Xiangguang. Before we go, let's check the weather again. Beijing is 24 overnight. Tomorrow, sunny with a high of 33. Chongqing is 29 this evening. Tomorrow, cloudy with a high of 38. Lhasa is 14 overnight. Tomorrow, cloudy and 24. Hong Kong has heavy rain with 26 tonight. Tomorrow, showers with a high of 29. Elsewhere, Tokyo is 26 overnight. It'll have thunderstorms with 35 on Saturday. Islamabad is 25 tonight. Tomorrow, sunny and 36. Bangkok is 28 overnight. Then thunderstorms and 37 on Saturday. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today: Chinese President Xi Jinping is set to attend the BRICS summit in South Africa next week. The Danish Foreign Minister is on a three-day visit to China. 
Donald Trump has canceled a press conference over the 2020 election. On behalf of the staff, this is Sui in the Chinese capital, hoping you will join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. What's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. A million, a billion, or maybe a gazillion years ago, a giant split open an egg. Then came the lady giant who made people, and Mr. Curious, the botanist, Mr. Handyman, the Baron on the tree. This is our new season of Chinese folk tales, and we will explore the ancient mystical world together. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen.